Lord God, thank you for t- the tonight, God. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for already we feel your presence here, God, in your Holy Spirit moving and just beautiful time of worship, beautiful time of sitting before your feet. And now as we open your word, I pray that you'd speak to us, that your spirit would anoint this time and that as we remember, God, what happened through this Passion Week and particularly this instant incident, God, Lord, move upon our hearts, Lord. Speak to us and help us, Lord, to love like you did. So bless this time. Bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I know you're probably thinking, wait, Acts. I thought we were coming back to Acts. And I know on Sunday I said, hey, we're going to get back into Acts after our worship prayer time last Wednesday. But um, Monday God was saying, uh-uh, no, no, no. I just, it just wasn't settling. Usually on Monday I start studying for all the studies during the week and um, Acts just was kind of falling dead. <laughs> um, but then the Lord put on my heart uh, John chapter 13 and it's because it's passions, Passion Week, right? The Easter week, the last week of Jesus' life and uh, I wanted to talk about this incident that happened on that last night of Jesus' life. Uh, when Jesus actually gave Judas one last opportunity. I was thinking about this old story. You guys probably heard this. You heard it from me if you've been with me long enough. Of this man that was standing on his roof doing a, a storm. A rising flood was coming. And the water was up to his feet. And right then someone in a canoe paddled by and said, Hey, jump in. I'll bring you to higher ground. No thanks, said the man. I have faith in the Lord, and he will save me. Well, soon after that, the water rose to his chest. Suddenly, a motorboat pulled up, and someone called out, Climb in, I'll get you to higher ground. No thanks, said the man again. I have faith in the Lord that he will save me. Just a little bit later, a helicopter flew by. The water was now up to the man's neck. Grab the rope, yelled the pilot. I'll pull you up. No thanks, said the man. I have faith in the Lord and he will save me. Well, the flood rose. The man drowned. Sad story. And that's the end of the story. No, just joking. (laughs) He went to heaven and he went before the Lord and he said, God, I put all my faith in you to save, save me and you let me down. What happened? Well, the Lord replied, what do you want from me? Oy vey, you know, kind of thing. I sent you a canoe, a motorboat, and a helicopter. I love that. I think that's what we call missed opportunity, right? Right? I saw a cartoon the other day of a, one man speaking to another, and he said this, opportunity paged me, opportunity begged me, opportunity emailed me, faxed me, and spammed me, but I was expecting a knock. I like that because sometimes we only see this opportunity in one way, kind of like the man uh, in that flood. Well, tonight, as we take a break from the book of Acts, we get into John chapter 13, and we find that Judas himself missed an opportunity with what Jesus was offering him. And sadly, it was his last. This was the one last opportunity. And that's the title of our message tonight. One last 
opportunity. One last opportunity. We're going to be just focusing in here on John chapter 13 from verse 21 through 26. So you can open your Bibles, uh, turn to John 13 and look at verse 21 through 26. We're going to be covering those verses. Now there's three things we're going to see and this will be our points. Number one, the unsettling news. Number two, the unbearable thought. And number three, the unexpected move. So those are our three points we're going to see, the three things we're going to see. So one last opportunity for Judas. Let's begin here with number one, the unsettling news. The unsettling news. And here we're going to just take a look at verse 21. Verse 21 of John chapter 13. Take a look with me here. John 13, 21, it says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, we begin here. We come into this this story. This is the last night of Jesus' life. It's the last supper. They're having the uh, Passover meal, getting ready, coming into that. And, And so it says here, John writes, After saying these things, well, after what? After Jesus washed the disciples' feet, about talking about serving one another in that way. After the disciples argued about who's the greatest, and Jesus talked about, hey, you've got to be a servant. After assuring them, even in the above verses, that the work is going to go on, Christ's work is going to go on, assuring them of all that. After those things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he shared To the disciples here now, he shared that, you know, one of you is going to betray me. Now, the word troubled here is a Greek word, taraso, which means severe turmoil. Uh, The NLT translated as deeply troubled. So Jesus is deeply troubled in his heart. He's, 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 He's very moved deeply in a way in trouble. I mean, it's... Because he knows, right? In a matter of hours, Judas will betray him. He, he actually mentioned that in the above verses. He knows Jesus will betray him to the Pharisees for, you know, 30 pieces of silver. Matter of fact, it's already been done at this point. And he knows that that act is going to lead to what's going to happen the next day, which is him dying on the cross. He knows that, that where where um. Judas himself, because of his choice, where he's heading, he's going to head into eternal damnation because of that choice he made. And he sees, I believe he's troubled too, because he sees what sin does to a man. When we make those choices, and he sees that's why he's going to the cross, that he can save us from that future if we choose that. I think, though, the most cutting thing is what we read here. Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. I think that must cut him even more. That, hey, it was one of the twelve that is going to betray him. It's one of his, his select twelve. It's one of the main group that he's been training up, discipling to take over once he is resurrected and ascends into heaven. Turn over to the Old Testament to Psalm 55. Psalm 55, I'm going to look at a few verses here. 
Actually, what is happening has been prophesied. What is going on, what, what Jesus is talking about, revealing in John 13, has been prophesied. So if you turn to Psalm 55, or if you have your phones, yeah, click over to, right? That's a modern way of saying things. Click over to Psalm 55, verses 12 through 14. It says here, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together, like fellowship within God's house. We walk in the throng. So Jesus is really revealing what we actually see in Scripture. Another verse I'll just say to you in Psalm 41, 9, it says, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. So what is happening has been prophesied. Now we know Judas has made that secret deal already. He has already sold out. Yeah, for the 30 pieces of silver. Judas, as we know, and I've talked about this before, he's disappointed with Jesus, right? He was hoping for a conquering Messiah, but that's not happening. And we know what we're going to talk about on Friday, that uh, Jesus not, didn't come as the conquering Messiah, but he came as the crucified Messiah. So Jesus isn't happen, happy. I, I mean, Judas isn't happy because Jesus isn't doing what he wanted. Judas was hoping, up, hoping that Je- Jesus would, would take over, the, the, the set, bring in the kingdom, uh, uh, defeat the Romans and all. So here he, he joined up. He's part of the 12. I think he was seeking a position, seeking money, seeking power in a new kingdom. It's not happening. So now his plan is to basically cash out and get out. So what was predicted, what was said by what David wrote, what we're seeing now, what Jesus is revealing is now coming to pass. And so Jesus reveals all this. He gives the unsettling news that, you know what, it's one of their own that is actually the secret betrayer here. That's unsettling. That's hard. And it hits the disciples, we'll see in the next section. That's really hard. Here's Judas. He's the betrayer. He's the one. You know, when us parents, you know, we have our, our, when we're pregnant and we're, a new baby's coming, what do we do? We we try and pick a name, right? I know um, my, my son, I think the first one, Tati picked, yeah, his wife. And the second one, he got to pick. But sometimes we have discussions of the names and everything. And a lot of Christians, right, parents, we choose biblical names. Noah, right, or Jonah, John, Isaac. We, we see that, and you could, that reflects their faith. But isn't it interesting, right, that no one picks Judas, right? No one will pick Judas. Did you know the name Judas actually means to praise I mean, back then in ancient times, it was a common name. I mean, that's why later we're going to see here too that, that we differentiate this Judas, the betrayer, with Judas the Iscariot, right? The son of Iscariot. I mean, there was, a, there was a, another disciple named Judas. 
So before, his name meant to praise, but now, because of what's going on, it's tied to betrayal, to treachery, to, to, to someone who you can't trust. So no one wants to be named Judas. No one wants to be Judas. So the unsettling news comes out that it's one of their own that is the betrayer. You know, the hard truth today is that there are those in the church who operate and act like Judas. They may not be named that, but people act like that. And what do I mean? How can that be? You know what? Because of their motive in their heart. And, and that's what I want to just put out for a little bit is that well, the reason why Judas became the betrayer. I mean, the reason why some people come to church is their own self-agenda. And as I mentioned, that's Judas. He had his own self-agenda. That's what he operated on. That's what was most important, his own self-agenda, not what Jesus was saying, not what he heard, not what the other disciples were seeing. He saw Jesus as the Messiah, got disappointed that he wasn't doing the Messiah stuff that he wished the Messiah would do because he had his own self-agenda. He lost sight of what God wanted. But sometimes people come into church in that way with their own self-agenda. They want what they want. And you know what? Like Judas, they end up making trouble in the body. Though I believe that you and I are not Judas, think about it this way. Do we have that tendency, though, too? Do we have that tendency or, or a l- little bit that we, we want to do what we want and not what God will want? We, we want to use God for our own purposes. That's like Judas. And you know, if you go down that road, you end up betraying, really, God. You end up breaking relationships. That, that, that's what he did. I mean, shouldn't we be ashamed of that? We should. We should think about who are we really serving, ourselves, Or are we, like we're singing, I surrender? Are we totally surrendered to God? So who do you serve? Check your heart. God or yourself? C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher in the late 1800s in England, he once said, he is no Christian who does not seek to serve his God. We can't have both, you guys. And I say this tonight as we're looking at Judas, this betrayer. He he became that betrayer because it started off with his own self-serving. And you know what? Isn't this what we see in the world today? Isn't this what we see in our society? At the cost of relationship, at the cost of family, people are only concerned of getting what they want to get. They don't care about anybody else but themselves. I came across this article a few years, few years back in England and when they were struggling on uh, the supply of fuel for gas stations, one person at the gas, pulled into the gas station and attempted to fill up like 10 cans of, big cans of gas 
Uh, it said in an article that he, quote-unquote, abused the staff with like a foul mouth rant. And when attendants tried their best, to com- when they were trying to accommodate everybody, he just, he just bucked them. He just went against them. And people were waiting in line, and they only had a limited supply. The gas station actually sent a message to, on Facebook to that one person say, say, who they said, well, you who said... And they quoted him, couldn't give the foul word about anyone else. We hope you are very ashamed of yourself. They kind of outed him in that way. But we need to be ashamed that we can be and have a tendency to be so self-centered and kind of have that same tendency as Judas did. All right, so here's the unsettling news that one of their own is going to betray them. The second thing we're going to see is number two, the unbearable thought. The unbearable thought. Here we're going to cover verses 22 through 25. First, take a look at 22, verse 22, John 13. It says, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. Now, they hear this unsettling news. It's one of the 12 here. It's one of the, the guys in this room. The disciples are basically like looking at each other like, who is it? Who, who, who is it? They're, they're wondering, who? They're confused. They're, they're like in a quandary of what, what's going on. Notice it says here, uncertain. You know what? It means that Judas didn't stand out here. He didn't stand out. I mean, if he did, you know, they would say, oh, I know who it is. It's, it's, it's Judas. If anything, Judas, remember, he was the treasurer. He, he took care of all the funds that came in, the money. If anything, they saw him, he's a guy of integrity because Jesus chose him to do that. If, if anything, he's, he should be the one who's trusted the most. But we know in, the, in other scriptures that he was actually stealing Right? He was taking some of that money. So no one knew, especially, that one of them would do a thing like that. No one knew that. And they thought, what? And they're, they're thinking, who? What? Who, who can do that? What's interesting in, in the other Gospels, like Mark chapter 14, verse 19, the disciples began to ask, like, is it me? Is it I? They were deeply grieved by this. They, they were like, whoa, wait, no, what? And it could be they had that attitude within themselves because it could be after Jesus had exposed, oh, I'm the greatest, you know, and all this, and Jesus exposed their pride, their sin, their selfishness in that. It could be that they, they were already brought down and humbled by that, that they thought, wow, I was so blind not seeing my own pride. Maybe there's something else that's in there, that can come out. So out of a true heart and self-doubt, they're like, is it me? They didn't know. They're looking around, like looking at each other. Is it I? Is it me? Maybe they didn't want to hurt Jesus like they did. Maybe, maybe they didn't want to do that to this one they love so much. So then in verse 23, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. Verse 24, So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking so that 
disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? So in verse 23 now, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Who's that? John. We know, right? John. John, he, he never names his name. John, the writer of the gospel, he never names himself, but he only describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. Now, it's not that he's saying, I'm the one, I'm the one, only one who Jesus loved. No, it, it, I think John was so touched by G, that Jesus would love him and any sinner who is unworthy like him that he adopted that in a, in hum, in a humbleness. And so he actually used that like four more times in, a, in this gospel. And so this is John. So John's describing himself that he was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. Now, uh, reclining, you have to understand, back then uh, in the ancient times when they sat down and ate, it wasn't like today where we sit in chairs like chairs are sitting now. They, they had like Japanese kind tables, <laughs> right? Really low. Yeah, but they didn't like sit, you know, with their... Uh, legs crossed or on their knees they actually reclined they they sort of they, they laid on their side like on their left arm and their feet was sort of pointing out maybe at an angle and how they would eat at these low tables they would lean on their left arm and basically they take the right right arm or right hand take the food dip it in the sauce and eat it and that's how they ate so they you, you can imagine people all around the table like that, the disciples all around, and that's how they would eat, normally eat the food. So it's not like, um, you know, the famous painting of the Last Supper where they were all arranged nicely like a camera was taking a picture. <laughs> it's not that at all. So, so think of, that's why it says reclining, right? And so John was at Jesus' side. So he... John's right next to Jesus. That's what it means. So then in verse 24, Simon Peter now motioned to John to ask Jesus, who, who's he talking about? Who is it? Who's the one that's going to betray? Who's, who's the one of us here? Now, I, I, I could see uh, Peter, yeah, like uh, trying to motion to John, like, hey, ask him. You know, John's next to Jesus. So wherever Peter is, he's farther away. And he catches John's eyes like, motion. And, and you ask him. And probably John's like, me? Uh-uh. You ask him. Me? No. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You're the closest. Yeah. Right. So maybe a little interaction was going on here. So Simon Peter's like motioning to John. Hey, ask him. Ask him. So that disciple, verse 25, it says, leaning back against Jesus. Now, that goes along with how they were reclining to eat. How in the ancient times they would eat at the low tables. Because if you can imagine, Jesus is here and he's, he eats like this. Then John's right here. His, his head is right there, leaning toward Jesus. Old translations like, you know, toward, uh, on his bosom, you know, on his chest. So you can imagine John's head is right here because he's leaning like this and Jesus is right here. So that's why it says leaning back against Jesus. So John is right there. His head is right there so he can easily turn and talk to Jesus. And, 
And I, I believe it's more in a quiet tone, you know. Maybe it's a whisper. Uh, Peter's trying to get information, but it's not like Peter's like, you ask him, John. No, he's just like, hey, hey, come on, come on, find out, you know, kind of like secretly. So John's right there and then turns to the Lord and says, Lord, who is it? John quietly asks this, this tough question because, you know what, no one wants to be that one. Nobody wants to be that one. A Puritan Thomas J. Cum said, The flesh is the womb where all sin is conceived and formed. The anvil upon which all is wrought. The Judas that betrays us. The secret enemy within. See, they're, right now, their attitude, the reason why they're saying, it is, is it me, is it me? They're in this, this quandary. They're, they're like, whoa, what's, is it, is it? They're, they're having a hard time because they see that now in themselves. That even though it's, they, they don't feel like they're the one, it could be they're the one because maybe they're blind to their own sin. They don't know. You know what's interesting even though the disciples don't know, Jesus knows, though, right? Jesus knows. We didn't cover it. When, I t- when we went through John um, before, I uh, took a, the passage above it, but Jesus kind of leaked it out, you know. But here he's really uh, getting into it. Jesus already knew that it was Judas who is the betrayer. And it made me think, right? I mean, if, if you were Jesus... And you knew that Judas was the one who's going to betray you. Would you let him in the room? Would you let him follow you for three years? Would you let him be part of the twelve? No, you would put him way to the side and have someone else, right? If you knew that. But isn't it interesting that Jesus knew who it was? And he still had him there at every meeting that the disciples had. Every time he, he trained them and taught them, the 12, every dinner, every, every healing, every service, every time he went and preached, Judas was right there. And even made, having him be the treasure of all the tithes. What I see, Jesus, in his grace, gave Judas the opportunity to choose Jesus and not himself, not his agenda. I believe that God gave Judas this opportunity. I mean, can you imagine hearing the voice of God, Jesus talking? Could you imagine uh, uh, Jesus are giving Judas a hug, a hug from God? Could you imagine Judas right there, firsthand seeing every miracle that Jesus did? Could you imagine the powerful teaching that came out? I mean, no wonder, right? The people followed Jesus, not just for the miracles, but we're listening. And, and remember, just no one teaches like that because it's God speaking. Can you imagine what that would do to your faith? Yeah. But it didn't face him. But think about this now. Even though it was already prophesied that one of the twelve, the very own, would betray Jesus. 
Even though Judas's sin here and his choice here would be used, would be turned to fulfill God's plan to send Jesus to the cross, that he would die for our sins and purchase our salvation and atone for our sin. Even though it was all that with Judas, you have to understand, it won't be because God forced him to do that. You see, in the end, Jesus, I mean, Judas made the choice, right? Judas made that choice. God gave him all these opportunities. He was one of the disciples. So really, in the end, Judas' betrayal is on him, not on God. And we have to understand that. So you see, the disciples were in the right place. It was hard for them. They're going, is it me? They were humble. They, they didn't want to be the one. It was the unbearable thought that the betrayer could be themselves, one of them. The unbearable thought, that was unbearable thought, that they couldn't possibly make that choice. So understand this tonight, because sometimes we get it all like, wait, wait, if God knew why Jesus had them, then did, did, not, did uh, Judas not have a choice? No, wasn't that at all. He was giving given every opportunity. And we even see it here because the disciples were like, is it, is it me? I don't want to make that choice. I don't want to be the, the one. I like something, um, actually John Quincy Adams once said, every temptation is an opportunity of our getting nearer to God. And I like that because we all have a choice. I was telling someone the other week that very thing that, you know, when you're tempted, you have a choice. You can say, I'm going to go this way, my flesh, or I'm going to choose Jesus. We have a choice. Romans 6, Christ died on a cross, rose again from the dead, and we're freed from the bondage of sin. Remember Romans 6 where we died with Christ. We reckon ourselves dead. And now we have a choice to yield ourselves to be slaves of unrighteousness or yield ourselves to be slaves of righteousness. We are free now to make that choice. So what do we choose? When, when temptation comes, do we cater to ourself? What do you choose? I want to choose Jesus, you guys. I want to choose Jesus. You see, we should be like the disciples with this unbearable thought that we would sin against our Jesus. On this side of the cross, the one who saved us, the one who gave his life for us. And we should have a healthy fear that we could fall and make the wrong choice as much as Judas did. So I think it's a good thing they had an unbearable thought that me, is it me? <gasps> because they didn't want to do that. And we should hold that in our hearts too. All right. So this is the one last opportunity for Judas. We saw number one, the unsettling news. Number two, the unbearable thought. And number three now, the unexpected move. And this is our last verse for this evening. Verse 26, it says, Jesus answered, now answered John, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. 
So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So again, as you see here at the end of verse 26, this is Judas Iscariot, we call him. This is the betrayer that we know. Okay, so Jesus answers John now. He turns to John and he says, I'll tell you who, it's, it is he who I will give this morsel, this piece of bread, after I have dipped it. And who, it, who did it go to? Judas. Now, back then, remember, this is how they would eat. They would have a piece of bread, and they would dip it in this paste-like kind of thing. Uh, uh, I was reading, it was um, one commentator saying it was like crushed raisins and figs and dates and little vinegar, vinegar and salt. So it was, a, it, was, it was like chip and dip. Or, you know, it's like, uh, what did we have the other day? Uh, Breadsticks with marinara sauce, right? But just to relate it to today. But they break the bread, take a piece, and, and that's what they would eat. So what's amazing to me is that even knowing what Jesus, I mean what Judas was about to do, Jesus does something shocking. Jesus does something very honoring and loving, I would say. Notice here in verse 26, Jesus just didn't sit there and say, all right, John, just watch. It's the one who dips it bread first and eats it. That's the betrayer. No, it, it's not that at all. It's not that at all. This is important. No, Jesus dipped the bread first into this sauce and gave it to Jesus. And that's significant because of this. It's customary for the head of the table to dip the bread and give it to the honored guests, to give it to the loved guests. Jesus took that action. He made that move. He did that act. And, and also, notice something else here. In order for Jesus to take the bread, dip it, and hand it to Judas, give Judas that dip, dip bread, he had to be close, right? It's not like we're sitting at a table and you're like, oh, Pass the chicken, you know, kind of thing, right? Across the table. No, they're lying on their side. So if John was on the right side of Jesus, then Judas had to be on the left side for him to cross over and go like this. And understand, in that culture, the people who sat on the right and on the left were the honored guests. I think that's amazing. Here's Judas. I, I, I really feel like Jesus positioned him there. He knew what he was going to reveal to John and then tell Peter. But I believe he positioned Judas there. Not because he didn't want to reach over right, with the bread, but because Jesus was reaching out to Judas with one last opportunity. And so this is the unexpected move that Jesus, when Jesus dipped the bread and gave it to Judas. I mean, here's, the guy's going to betray him. The guy has already, uh, uh, you know, uh, bought Jesus out, sold Jesus out. Already he took the, the 30 pieces of silver here. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows, yet Jesus still reaches out to Judas. One last time. It's almost like he took the bread and, and he's almost, I don't know if he could catch his eye, 
you know? And they were eye to eye. Perhaps Jesus is like staring at him, saying, don't do it. You don't have to do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing what? That any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. This whole time, Judas was with Jesus. This whole time he was part of the twelve, the three years of Jesus' ministry here on, on this earth. Some might think, oh, why'd you allow that? Why did you let him in if he's going to do this? Some mistake the slowness of God, the, God's patience. They mistake it as God's allowance and God's acceptance. Well, God didn't do anything, so it must be okay. But we must see the picture here that it's actually God's mercy, God's grace, God's patience giving another chance for repentance. That's what's going on here, you guys. That's what happens. God is patient. This is the way God operates and we see a picture of it right here, right in this account here. Oh, I was thinking about how many times has God not brought consequences I deserve? Yeah? How many times? For my sin. How many times then consequences do come then we complain to God? <laughs> How crazy is that? But shouldn't we appreciate the Lord? Oh, Lord, you've been merciful. You've been gracious. Oh, Lord, I, I deserve this, but Lord, it didn't happen. Thank you for giving me a chance, another chance. We must humble ourselves knowing that any one of us could sin as bad as Judas did. We must understand that our flesh is wicked and it's easy to give, give over to it. It's easy to play into Satan's hand. You know, we can do just as bad, you know. But what an unexpected move, yeah, for this person who really doesn't deserve it. These three years, Jesus knew. A man once asked this famous theologian, why do you think Jesus chose Judas Iscariot to be his disciple? Well, the re he replied, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, but I have even a harder question. Why did Jesus choose me? Well, as we come to a close here, God is giving you and I an opportunity, you know what, to respond to his voice. Let's respond today. Let's respond to what he's telling us. Perhaps he's challenging us with our own temptations and sin. Perhaps he's challenging us to have mercy and grace, to forgive, to love like how Jesus did. Perhaps he's challenging us to not get angry at God or bitter or misunderstand God if he in his will chooses to be merciful to someone and give them grace for a little while. Perhaps he wants us to trust him in those situations. Let's humble ourselves and not miss this opportunity tonight 
that God is giving us. I'll close with this. You guys know on April 14, 1912, the Titanic sunk in the Atlantic Ocean. Well, you, what you might not know is about a man, a pastor named John Harper, who is traveling to America to actually speak at the famous Adil Moody Church. Now, when the boat was sinking, he placed his six-year-old, six-year-old daughter in a lifeboat. Now, he, he was actually a widower, and so it was just him and his daughter. He put her on a boat, and he could have gone on cause he, he, also because he's a widower, but he put her on the boat, and then he ran down the deck of the ship yelling, women, children, and unsaved into the lifeboats. As the water was filling the boat, he, he went from person to person pleading with them to receive Jesus Christ. When a man rejected him, Sharply, John Harper gave that man his life jacket saying, you need this more than I do. Soon after, one th- the 1,528 people fell into the freezing ocean when the ship sh- sank. John Harper, who was one of them, he swam from person to person sharing Jesus Christ, even though he was struggling with hyperthermia. You know, it was freezing, right, the water. One survival survivor who testified years later he said this i was drifting alone on a piece of wood the tide brought mr harper also on a piece of the wreck near me man he told me are you saved no i said i am not he replied believe on the lord jesus christ and you will be saved then the waves pulled him away but strange to say brought him back a little later And he asked again, are you saved now? No, I said, I cannot honestly say that I am. He said again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And shortly after that, I saw him go down. But there, alone, in the night, with two miles of ocean under me, I believed. Then this man said, I am John Harper's last convert. This is God's love, isn't it? Without thought to himself, John Harper went to share Jesus. Just like here Jesus is reaching out. Shouldn't we do the same? Let's continue to share Jesus. It might be the last opportunity for someone might be the last opportunity for both of us yeah, to respond to what God wants us to do. And this is what we see here with Judas, the one last opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, as we end up in this study here, God, we ask for your forgiveness. How many times, Jesus, have you not or have you, I should say, that we have not responded to your call, God? And how many times have you not brought consequences, Lord, when we have not obeyed you, given into temptations, but your grace and mercy has been upon us? Lord, we come before you and we don't want to miss any opportunity that you give us, whether to share, Lord, your heart to someone else 
your gospel or whether, God, you're calling us to repent, to turn from our sins, to obey you and come back to you. Lord, help us tonight. God, what matters is you, Jesus, and what you're saying. What matters is you in our life, God. Help us to lay down our self and our pride at the foot of the cross. Lord, forgive us for our self-seeking and, and only thinking of our own self-will and doing what we want, Lord. But God, we want to be surrendered to you now. We want to give you our heart right now. So, Lord, here we are. Offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice. Have your way with us, Lord. Do your will. And let our lives be lived for you, for your glory, and nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen.